Marketers ruin everything. Welcome to the Everything is Marketing Podcast. What I don't want to do is to pretend this is show number one. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. It is the Everything is Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Hulkerin. It is a Friday afternoon as we are coming to you, um, and I am in the room with uh, three other of my contemporaries, with Nate Reams, Ann Drummond, and Nick Bailey, and we thought uh, there's there's a lot of conversation both in the market and geographically and in the market metaphysically uh, surrounding the idea of storytelling as it relates to marketing. And so we thought we'd take a couple minutes to kind of parse that out and specifically compare that to what you know as a commercial. So to start out, and can you do some level setting on the definitions that we'll use between a story and a commercial? Sure. So uh, every good strategy, every good marketing strategy uh, needs both, right? You need to, uh, in a very highly produced way, tell the story of your business in a way that also talks about the products that you sell or perhaps how much those are and how you might reach out to a person within your business. That's a, that's a commercial. That's something that's pre-produced, well thought out, extremely well planned, and it's intended to put your best foot forward. There's a place for that in your strategy. But there's also a place for storytelling in your strategy. You wanna make sure that, uh, you, that your consumer, that your audience understands who your business is from an intrinsic level, right? So what's your value system? Um, why, why this city, you're, you're in Grand Rapids, why Grand Rapids? Or you're selling this particular product, why that particular product? You know, there's, there are a lot of different ways to tell the story of your business that aren't commercials. So I think that's what we're here to talk about today. And Nick, you spent a lot of time traveling the state of Michigan ostensibly telling stories. And one of your favorite things, if people don't know this already, uh, is constructing those stories using your favorite Greek vernacular in logos, pathos, and ethos. And logos, pathos, and ethos can show up in a commercial, but can probably make a better connection within a story. Yep, correct. I mean, though, the main thing that you're trying to accomplish in a story is to hit that emotional connection. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some, you know, emotion, credibility, logic, ethos, pathos, and logos for those who don't play those uh, vernaculars. Um, those are the ways that we talk about it. And if you're trying to make that emotional connection, the story is the way to do that. It's the reason why you'll stick around till the end to see what is going to happen in an arc that is uh, whatever your format is in. And Nate, for people who have maybe only seen you in the lens ball video, they might not have a, you know, a, a grasp of not only you as a person, but where you came from. You came from the journalistic side of MLive and have come over to a content side. So you bring this unique perspective in the ability to pull those stories out of clients to do a hybrid of this essentially story commercial. Can you talk a little bit about your approach when you go meet with a client on how you're gonna do this written word that isn't $1.99 loaves of bread, we're telling a different story to trigger a different emotion. Sure, and I think Ann touched on it, is, is, and Nick did as well, you're trying to capture that what's different why is this important how am i going to make this important to me uh, when you consider any product you want to go beyond just the price beyond a promotion it's how do i connect with this um, how does this make my life easier how does it improve my life and, and you can take that in anything from a, a cooking element to replacement windows 
every product has something that's individual and unique about it, and you want to draw that out so that it stands out from the market, from the masses. And so what are some of those things that you do? You sit down with a client for the first time and they go, hey, Nate, I, we're going to do seven pieces over the course of the next year. The first one is going to be about replacement windows. How do you start to pull those stories out of them when they're clearly used to product price in a specified window, right? The, these things are on sale for this amount of time at this place. Sure. I think uh, the first thing to do is something like replacement windows, you want to simplify it. I think everyone gets intimidated by a home repair or a home improvement project. So break down the fact that, oh my gosh, this is going to cost a lot of money or my house is going to be a train wreck for two weeks. It's, oh, okay, so you do it one window at a time and it's, it's a vinyl product, so it's going to improve my heating efficiency. It's going to improve my cooling efficiency. What is the value to me, to my family, and uh, to my home? And so, and off of that, this clearly illustrates the importance of doing both because you couldn't do that in a commercial of any sort. You can get the bullet point, but you can't get the whole story, right? So telling a story in multiple formats, you know, Nick here is amazing at putting together stories in video, right? Nate's role is really about the written word. You need you need to get beyond the bullet point and really dig into what it means to the viewer, what it means to the audience that's consuming the story. And as a brand that is uh, um, morphing into a modern storytelling brand, what are some of the ways that they can start to identify their stories before maybe they bring in somebody like a Nate or a Nick, depending on the medium that they're gonna choose? What are some ways that they can look at their brand from a different perspective? Uh, one of the things that, one of the analogies that we draw um, when we're talking with clients is around The Wizard of Oz. Almost everyone has seen the movie The Wizard of Oz, they understand what it's about, and if asked what it's about, you know, Dorothy gets caught up in some weather, her house drops on the Wicked Witch of the East, and she spends the rest of the movie trying to get home to Kansas, right? That's, that's a story that we all know and have known for a really long time. I would suggest that the story of Wizard of Oz and the way that I have just described it is a commercial. It's a, here's what it's about in a short you know, period of time. But if I were to say the Wizard of Oz as a, as a story is actually about two women fighting each other to the death over shoes, that is also the story of the Wizard of Oz. It's just told differently. The camera angle is different. The people at the center of the story are a little bit different. Similarly, I could say that a young woman, a young homicidal woman, uh, murders and then bands together with a motley crew and plots to kill again. Also, The Wizard of Oz. This is the same film. I'm telling the same story, but from a different angle. The, the Broadway musical Wicked tells the story in yet another angle, right? So that particular performance or that production uh, really just changes the camera angle so that you could see what was happening off screen during the original story. All of these are the stories of the Wizard of Oz. All of these are stories of Dorothy and her adventures through Oz. But every one of them is told in a very different way. Talking about it from what's the movie about and telling that very direct story is the commercial version. Changing the camera angle and talking about it from a different perspective and drawing out other characters and placing them at the center is telling a story. And to riff off that a little bit, you think about character development, not in the sense of Hollywood production, 
but Wizard of Oz, you're seeing people go to where they haven't been before. The Tin Man finds he has feelings. The lion is no longer a, a coward. He's not scared. He, he grows, and that can lend itself to that storytelling. What are the developments that have brought me to this point? And so, and when, when this formula gets messed up, when you think it's a commercial and it's a story, which doesn't very often happen, it's often the other way. When you think your story is a commercial, what are the, what are the dangers of, of presenting something like that? Well, uh, the very obvious danger is that uh, you have less viewership or less engagement, right? So you go into something that you believe is a story and discover while you're inside of it or reading it or experiencing it in a video um, that you're actually part of a commercial. You're quick to jump out you're quick to change your mind, or you're quick to um, maybe change what you feel about that particular brand, right? If you go into a commercial and discover that you're part of a story, the opposite is true. So you, you're hanging out. You wanna see what comes next. You wanna understand that character development that Nate described. Who are the people that are behind this brand and what makes them like you? That's That's, uh, really what we're trying to do here is change the camera angle, understand that there's a time and place for a commercial to occur and exist, but also that storytelling is really how someone connects to your brand or your product. And a month ago, guys, we experienced, Nate, you're, you're the sports fan amongst us, but we experienced a moment when brands make this formula into a Venn diagram, right? When we get to Super Bowl commercials, a lot of brands play in the space for a half of a second and then on Monday, go right back to running commercials. But for that singular moment, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, that singular moment on Super Bowl Sunday, they're running these 90-second commercials instead of 30-second commercials, and they're telling more stories or more brand awareness or more top of the funnel, sort of bring everybody into the party. And then they don't continue, they hardly ever, in fact, I can't even think of an instance where they do, extend that to a year-long campaign trying to do the same thing. Well, um, I think this year's Super Bowl was, was perhaps a good example. There were a lot of um, pieces of commercial uh, work that used the same uh, method, right? Like, let's get a superstar, let's put him at the center of this, and let's create a 90-second commercial or story. Um, I'm going to use those interchangeably, but we sure. know they're not, right? Um, around that particular person for the, the benefit of a product. I think the one time that it was done successfully, and for very different reasons, uh, was we all sat and watched Andy Warhol eat a sandwich. And we watched it longer than we thought we should, perhaps, and we connected to it or we didn't, right? But the, the storytelling that's happening now, residually, since that moment in time occurred for us, is way more valuable to that brand than the 90 seconds that they purchased in the middle of a, of a Super Bowl. Absolutely. Well, and, and what's fascinating about that mythology is people are telling themselves very different stories about that commercial. Because there's, there's what you saw at the Super Bowl, which was Andy eating a Whopper. Mm -hmm. There's below it, which you and I have talked about, below it, the actual historical account of what happened, which was it was supposed to be a Big Mac because he liked the, mar the packaging better, but they couldn't get one, so it was a Whopper. Right. And then there's the 
two sides of the argument that you're having, like this was a successful campaign, this was a garbage campaign, but there, but all three tiers are still talking about this one piece of content that has very little to do with actually selling burgers. And the story itself, I mean, you'll notice that he ate the burger in a very distinctive way. He <laughs> opened the lid and peered inside of his sandwich, right? And, and replaced it. He took the ketchup and put it on the paper and then dabbed the sandwich into it before taking a bite. I mean, watching Andy Warhol eat a sandwich was a very interesting thing for someone who uh, is part of a creative department, sure. right? But the, the truth of this is that the residual effects and the storytelling that's happening about the storytelling, about the storytelling, 14 times removed now, months later, um, is far more beneficial to that brand. And yes, the the, Honestly, the, the, the core of that, meaning that um, the sandwich was supposed to be something different, makes it even more interesting, sure. particularly because it was a competitive brand. So there's all, there's all sorts of layers, many, many layers. Um, and our opening the sandwich to peer inside is kind of a, a, fun, um, a fun thing to do now after the fact. Right. But Nate, you would imagine that would probably be difficult to carry, a lo carry along for a year to create that feeling for 11 more months of the year, right? Because it's probably hard to tell that quirky, odd story over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. It, something like that is, is a one-off that gets people talking and does, doesn't necessarily have legs. Um, but if you can come at the Whopper at a different connection point every other time or in a different piece, then you're building on that narrative. And it's not just sustenance it's not i'm in a hurry i'm going to grab something to eat it's i got an interest in this now it's become part of my life because i i found some sort of connection with it i think that one of the things that you can take away from that <clears throat> is you were saying about the super bowl commercials uh, it's a good example because they're attributing themselves to a celebrity that has some sort of clout in the world, um, be it their ability to act or score goals in sports or do whatever they're going to do. Um, but the nice thing about what you can take away from that is in the past that had to work a lot more often because you only had at-bats, you only had the ability to speak very few times on any form of mass media. And I think the, the shift in the world now is that you can speak so much more often that you have to be careful that you're not just pitching the whole time. And the nice thing about that is you can start to build that the celebrity, that clout in your own team and in who you are so that when you go to speak about the commercial side, when you want to talk about your product, they have trust in you as opposed to having to attach yourself to a uh, person that is um, of already in the public eye. You, you absolutely nailed it. So uh, part of this, the interesting um, shift that we're seeing is that yes, absolutely, there was a time when brands had to spend such a significant amount that they, they chose those opportunities extremely carefully. Now with social media and our ability for everything to be a mass media opportunity, um, the number of times that you're speaking to individuals, you really have to think about that frequency model and exactly what you're saying. You have talked to us a lot about this um, concept of how frequently you tell a story without asking for something in return mm -hmm. versus uh, when the commercial is an appropriate time to, to drive a conversion or to drive a consumer action. Will you tell us more about that? 
Yeah, um, and that kind of goes back to a couple of things that we've been touching on recently, which is basically just our give versus ask. And I think the easiest way to think about that is when you're out and you're watching a TV show, it's 22 minutes of entertainment, eight minutes of ask. Now, I'm not saying that that's the perfect conversion for everybody, but you have to start thinking about, you have to be putting into this thing the, the give, the storytelling, that when they're done consuming the piece of content, they're better for it. I think that's the easiest way to, do, to identify that. When you're done building it, is the person who consumed that better for what they just watched? Are they de-stressed? Did they learn something? Do they have something that they can go tell somebody else? Now, if you never ask, you're actually doing them a disservice because if you're building a quality product, eventually you want them to partake in what they have and they want to take what you have. And if it's a very, they don't know how to, then that's actually just as much of a problem as never telling a story. Absolutely. So the, the ratio of asking needs to be significantly less than that ratio of giving. Right. And really that's what we're talking about. The ratio of the story to the ratio uh, to the commercial, right? Mm -hmm. So making sure that the story far outpaces the times that you ask, which is your commercial. That's where your price, your product, the positioning all show up. Yeah, right? and unless you know, and I, I do a belief with that, and that's why um, if you are say placing a TV ad, you place it with something that has entertainment value, so that when the ask comes, it's not a like it's not a slap in the face. But if you're telling this across today's today's media which is a lot digital in a lot of different spots you have more opportunities to explore what that is and your story is told better that way and i would say to to close this out guys the the thing about the difference between story and commercial is we have seen with insane consistency if your brand can tell a story well the asks come naturally Right? It's when you struggle to, I don't want to give away my best stuff. I don't want to, you know, I feel like if I give away, if I tell somebody, we'll use Lowe's as an example. If I tell somebody how to fix their disposal, what's, how do I guarantee they come into Lowe's to buy the garbage disposal? Well, they do because they go back to you again and again and again on YouTube because you've got all of the things that they need to fix in some sort of education playlist or however you, you do that. So by leaning into the story and doing more gives than asks, the money comes naturally, in my opinion. And, and part of that, uh, to take that kind of to the next step, uh, Eric, you talk a lot, a lot about Yeti. Nick, I've heard you talk about uh, Red Bull and having that involvement with a lifestyle, with uh, events. Um, take like a Patagonia. They've identified who clicks with that through the environment support. Uh, they give their employees uh, days off to go boating. You're touching that base of emotion and of, wow, I really appreciate what they're doing for A, their people, B, the uh, environment that we all live in. That's more than a tangential, hey, buy this 189 sweet jacket that has a lifetime guarantee. It's, we're gonna be by your side for this product, for this earth, for everything. Uh, and, and you can't be more powerful than that. Absolutely. Well, that goes to understanding the audience that the story is for, right? So I'm not gonna tell the same story about, about a Subaru or to a potential owner of a Subaru that I would tell to the potential owner of a Ferrari. Uh, it's not the same person. So understanding who the story is for and shaping it and crafting it to make sense for that person. And like you said, not to be tangential for them, but to really 
help them understand that this brand is by their side and believes what they believe uh, is a crucial point. All right, guys, it is Friday, so we won't hold you uh, much longer than we already have. I appreciate everything that you guys have done. If you want to get more on story versus commercial, you can always do that online at mlivemediagroup.com. Have an awesome weekend, and this is the Everything is Marketing podcast.